Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. And also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And now for some news. On last week's episode of the podcast, one of the top stories was news of a disruption to Microsoft's multi-factor authentication service in the United States. At the time Microsoft had confirmed the trigger of the issue was severe packet loss between Microsoft and a third-party service. The Register have reported more information about this this week. It appears Microsoft updated the status with more information claiming, quote, at 1.30 UTC, severe packet loss was experienced on an external network route between Microsoft and the Apple Push Notification Service. So, that third-party service was owned by Apple. Microsoft said it will add additional network connections within its Azure regions and also add logical partitioning to better separate different types of requests. So hopefully this has just been taken as a learning experience and it won't happen in the future. As covered on previous episodes, Google plans to stop supporting Flash and Chrome next year. As of the release of version 76, it has already been disabled by default in the browser. And as per a recent report from ZDNet, it looks like Google are taking action to help bury it before they officially stop supporting it. It has been announced that Google Search will start ignoring Flash content, which should give website owners relying on Flash an incentive to ditch Flash and use HTML5 instead. You may recall... I also covered the news last year that Google started to prioritize sites with HTTPS rather than HTTP in their search. And that does seem to have led to a pretty rapid uptake in HTTPS, even for bloggers who don't deal with customer data. Hopefully this does expedite a move away from Flash. It would be nice to have one less security hole in the environment. Although I know that's pretty naive thinking. Betanews.com reported that Comparatech and security researcher Bob Diachenko discovered an unencrypted database that was available publicly online for at least a week. The database in question was belonging to Adobe and it contained information including email addresses, account creation date, which Adobe products a customer is using, subscription status, whether the user is an Adobe employee, member IDs, country, time since they last logged in, and payment status. Luckily, it appears payment information was not exposed, but email addresses and member IDs could be useful for hackers for other purposes, so it is pretty disappointing all the same. While Adobe have yet to comment on this, they were pretty quick to secure the database when notified. In fact, they secured it the same day. Master Packager have announced a new licensing model that includes one-year maintenance for the usual price of €499. That means now you don't just buy the product for that €499, you're also going to be able to avail of new versions over the next 12 months, 
meaning you get the most recent new features and fixes too. So it's become even more of a bargain. Six weeks ago on episode 91 of the podcast, I reported that Citrix looked set to announce that version 1912 will become the next long-term service release version. This week, Citrix divulged more information on that and confirmed its intent that this will be the next LTSR and that it will be released in Q4 of this year, with December being pretty obvious due to the version. You'll have options for deployment with the 1912 release. Many organizations have policies that dictate a clean install of the LTSR and production deployments, but Citrix will also support in-place upgrades from 1906 or 1909. So that can make your testing easier. You can go to 1906 today to prepare for it. Upgrades directly from 715 LTSR are also supported as long as you've stayed current with cumulative updates throughout the rollout. If your organization is still on version 7.6 LTSR, there won't be a direct upgrade path. Citrix instead encourage you to roll out test environments sooner rather than later because you have almost five years of new features that you have to catch up on if you're on 7.6. The current 7.15 LTSR administrators may notice that Windows 7 and Server 2008 R2 are no longer supported operating systems for the 1912 LTSR VDA. They say, don't be alarmed. If you're running these older operating systems, they are still compatible with 1912. You simply deploy them using the existing 715 LTSR VDA agent instead. The very first Citrix workspace app for Windows LTSR preview is scheduled to ship along with 1912, with general availability for the workspace app itself being expected around Q1 2020. Microsoft's advanced threat protection has just gotten better with Microsoft now including a consult a threat expert button in the UI. When your security team faces a threat so bad they can't deal with it alone, they could simply click on this button to reach back to get some help from a security expert at Microsoft. The feature is now available for those with subscriptions such as Windows 10 Enterprise E5 and the Microsoft 365 bundle. A ZDNet report states that the service is a response to security teams in large enterprises who may be overwhelmed by the volume of security alerts. Microsoft's threat experts can help them cut through the noise and focus on the alerts that matter. If the security operations team receives an alert about a dangerous attack, say, on a device's kernel, they now have an option to consult a threat expert just simply by clicking that button. Microsoft promises its threat experts will provide technical consultation on relevant detections and adversaries. UberGizmo.com have reported that Google plans to release an incognito mode for Google Maps. When incognito mode is enabled, the places that you've searched for and navigate to aren't linked back to your Google account. A gray bar at the top will notify users that they're looking up places in incognito mode. Pretty similar, I guess, to when you're using Chrome in incognito mode. It's interesting that they're bringing this to Google Maps. I know it's also available in YouTube and has been for a little while now. So I guess this could potentially roll out to some other Google services too. There is no set date just yet for the incognito mode in Google Maps. It's just listed as coming soon. The awesome Wendy Gay of Citrix shared an excellent in-depth article on Okta integration with Citrix Workspace. I've really enjoyed Okta the couple of times I've gotten to work with it. In one case, 
I got to use it integrated with an old Citrix NApp environment and one other case as a standalone product just using it by itself. They do provide a pretty superior MFA experience and many smaller organizations who in turn become larger companies have opted for Okta's authentication services so it's important for products like Workspace to embrace it. So it's great to see Citrix and VMware both are embracing it. And now the weekly webinar. On November 6th, Thinscale will be holding a 30-minute webinar with a preview of their upcoming Windows Virtual Desktop Connector. If you join the webinar, you'll find out how to reduce the total cost of ownership on your Windows Desktop as a Service deployment by reusing your existing hardware and avoiding extra and hidden costs. You can avoid compatibility issues that come with using a non-Windows-based endpoint and save time updating, deploying, and managing your endpoints too. They'll walk through Thin Kiosk and secure remote workers' connections to WVD and how their tools will support that new connector. They'll go through how WVD will run in a software-defined ThinClient environment and how it can be implemented into your own deployment. And also some of the reasons behind why Thin Kiosk is one of the first solutions to natively host direct connections to WVD. And I didn't know whether to put this as a webinar or under scripts, tricks, and tips, but I picked webinar since it's a long-form video that I'm going to talk about. Tim Mangan's excellent session from the recent App Manage event in the Netherlands has been posted in its entirety on YouTube. Tim dives into Microsoft's package support framework and MSIX. I'll share a link to that video with this episode, which is episode 96, on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And now, scripts, tricks, and tips. You may notice I have featured a whole bunch of Guy Leach's awesome PowerShell scripts. He has so many more that I haven't talked about yet, and he's done us all a further service. Guy has posted a blog listing all of his scripts, complete with a little synopsis for each. So it's a treasure trove of PowerShell scripts, and you can just go through and pick which ones you think sound interesting or useful to you. And speaking of PowerShell scripts, Ryan Butler shared a handy PowerShell script that creates and deletes Unify site-to-site VPNs for Azure. So for anyone who dabbles in the network side of things, or maybe if you are a hardcore home labber, this script could come in pretty useful for you. Tim Smith shared a post on Pihole, which to steal a phrase from Zoolander is very hot right now. It seems everyone I know in the industry is using Pi-hole for DNS filtering in their home labs. As Tim himself suggests, many of us having spare Raspberry Pi devices at home, including me, I actually used one for OpenVPN, and when I moved back to Ireland, I didn't feel like reconfiguring for my network, so it's just collecting dust for now. So I've got one sitting around doing nothing, which I'm sure all of us do, that I could put to use and get Pi-hole set up on it. Tim, in his blog post, doesn't provide a step-by-step guide, but he does state that that's been covered by a lot of others. What he does do is talk about some block lists he uses, as well as some specific domains he blocks to help streamline performance on his network. It's pretty interesting stuff. And that's it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening.